Welcome to the Tim Hill Podcast. If you have the time, you can not only listen to the episodes, but you can also watch all the shows and you'll find the links in the description below. Thank you. The Tim Hill Podcasts. Ordinary people's extraordinary stories. Welcome to the Tim Hill Podcast. In this episode, I'm going to interview the number one guest on Podmatch. So, without further ado, Tyler. You're welcome. Oh, it's yeah, a pleasure I'm doing good. Here, Tim. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've obviously been number one uh, host on Podmatch. You've been the number one guest on Podmatch for so long. It's unreal. 18 months. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Well, let's see how this goes. So, Tyler, if you can tell me when and where you were born, if you can describe to me what it was like where you grew up, the schools you went to, and the education that you received. Sure. Uh, I was born in a small town just outside of, uh, of Calgary, Alberta, Canada, and uh, grew up um, in another small town just south of the city. And, uh, you know, my elementary school was, um, you know, the typical standard first to sixth grade. Um, and, uh, it was in town and a really, really, really wonderful school to go to. I'm still in communication with, uh, my teachers, those that are still with us. Unfortunately, um, there's a, a downward trend with, uh, with longevity in my teachers. My, uh, sixth grade teacher passed away about three years ago. My fifth grade teacher passed away last year. Um, and I'm hoping that trend stops there. Uh, because, um, you know, I, I absolutely loved my elementary school teacher so much so that I actually acknowledged them in my book when it came out, uh, just because of the impact that they had on my development. And then in, uh, junior high, I went to a different school, uh, grades seven through nine. I went to a very, very, very small rural school that was out in the middle of nowhere in this little tiny hamlet south of the town that I grew up in. Um, and it, the the town itself, well, the hamlet was so small that when school was in, it actually tripled the population of the community. <laughs> and then we'd all leave and go back to um, home and then the community would be quiet again. And that was, that was wonderful because I, um, all of my family uh, grew up ranching I did not. I was I was in town, um, but I would I would be out on the ranch over the weekend, uh, almost every weekend, doing something. We were, you know, um, either feeding cattle or we were branding or herding or fixing fences or who knows what I had to do over the weekend. Chores on my uncle's farm were endless and nonstop. So that was uh, that was uh, LM, or junior high for me. And uh, it was nice to be in a, a rural community like that. And then uh, yeah. I ended up going to well, a fine arts well, high before, school. Before you go on much further, let's mm-hmm. just, just drag you back a little bit. Calgary. Mm-hmm. Yes. Calgary Stampede. That's correct. Yes, sir. Wow. How many times have you been to the Calgary Stampede? Uh, have I you taken part in it being coming from, from sort of <sighs> cowboy stock effectively? So, uh, yes, but no, I never participated from a, um, from a cowboy perspective, but I was part of the young Canadians of the Calgary stampede and I put on the grandstand show. So that was, that was phenomenal and fun. It's, um, they are not kidding when they deem it to be the greatest outdoor show on earth. Uh, that is not hyperbole. That really is the reality of that 10 day uh, festival because it has everything you have the rodeo you have the fairgrounds you have the grandstand show you have the super dogs exhibitions um the fair the the market like everything that is you know you see over um a million people come through those turnstiles and it is a a massive massive undertaking and uh just an absolute joy to be involved with and, and, and just a fun thing to do. I, I strongly uh, encourage anybody, if you've never been to Calgary, 
do make your first visit during the summer, uh, the any time after the first Friday in July, and uh, you can enjoy those those ten days. It's it really is the whole city comes alive. We have pancake breakfasts, and it's just you know you can you can eat for free and uh, it finds something to do at any time of the day or night uh, for those 10 days and just have a great time. Wow. It's on the bucket list of things to do. So um, let's just concentrate on your elementary school uh, Mm -hmm. just for a bit. Sure. You mentioned earlier that um, about some teachers that had an influence on you. Mm -hmm. Can you elaborate a bit more on that? Absolutely. Um, my father was a teacher and passed away when I was in the first grade. I was six years old when my father passed away. And he was really well known within the community, very well liked. And as an educator, I think a lot of the teachers um, took an, an extra shine to me. Um, and so my first grade teacher, Judy Nielsen, really uh, looked out for me, really supported me especially in that time because my father passed away in February. So it was, you know, the last half of the year. And, uh, she, she was just an absolute gem. She's the one who encouraged me and my acting. She was the first one to put me on stage. Uh, she was the one who encouraged my mom to explore it as a, as a professional option for me at a young age. And then uh, in the second grade, uh, my teacher, Pat McGuigan, was just phenomenal herself. I, I really struggled the first half of the year, um, mostly because I'd gotten a bit of a buy the last half of the first grade because of my father's passing. And so I think um, as, as supportive and as encouraging as Mrs. Nielsen was, I, I don't think she made me Uh, try very hard. And I got really lazy in my studies. And so when I got into the second grade, um, there was a little bit of a culture shock with how Mrs. McGuigan wanted things done. And uh, I wasn't dyslexic in in any way, but I was definitely delayed in in getting my letters and numbers in the correct order. And she really, um, she was really, really supportive but hard on me uh in a very very kind way and uh she was the first time that i ever um felt rewarded and acknowledged uh for my efforts uh, i had received uh, the most improved student award at the end of the year and from that point on i knew that i i wanted to excel scholastically to be able to be acknowledged for that hard work and then so uh, in the third grade, Mrs. Young um, was one of the greatest educators ever to work within the school board that I went to. Like she is an award-winning educator, and I was just blessed to be with her. Uh, she introduced me to a love of literacy that has um, lasted the rest of my life. And uh, I, you know, I, I she was one of those people who was really demanding but kind with her, her students and wanted nothing but the best for me. And I remember winning uh, top student of the year in her class and being rewarded. I, she took me at, she took the top boy and the top girl uh, each year out for a milkshake at our local uh, drive-through diner called uh, the hitching post. And it's, it's actually quite famous in, in Southern Alberta. People will come from everywhere just to have a, an HP burger and a milkshake. And, and as top students, I got to go with um, Margaret and uh, enjoy a milkshake of my choice, which by the way, was licorice flavored. And it was, uh, it was just a, a really good time. And then, you know, the four through six, I had Lit- Mr. Lobby. Licorice. Licorice. licorice yeah black licorice mm. flavor you have no idea i i come from a <laughs> really? very got, long no yeah very long <laughs> line of uh nordic um and and celtic folks and so uh, black licorice has been a uh a staple in my household uh but in a milkshake my family but yeah, so then you get it in flavored in the milkshake and they, it was, it's, 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 to me, it's, it's, a, you know, a little slice of heaven and I just, I love them. I still drink them to this day. Yeah. Well, you, 
Yeah, that's an, that's an odd. That is really odd. Yeah, we know I don't mind licorice, but I couldn't imagine yeah. it in milk. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, licorice is good. Milkshakes are good. Combine them together. It's definitely weird. I'm not going to lie. Uh, <laughs> I I now you know it's not my only staple. When I go there, I will have a real strawberry banana milkshake as well. Those are phenomenal. Hmm. I, I can I can understand the strawberry milkshake and the, the banana milkshake. Prefer my prefer preference would be chocolate milkshake. Oh yeah, <laughs> they're great. They have them too. Yeah. So let's let's just take you back to. Um, encouraged to do theatrical mm-hmm. how to become a thespian so mm-hmm. at that time did you have sort of um sort of theater classes or, or acting classes in, in your school or or was it an extra curricular yeah no it was definitely an extracurricular i mean we did have um performances so uh mrs nielsen had put me in the christmas pageant the christmas play and uh, I got to play Joseph alongside my best friend at the time, Lisa, who played Mary. And um, that was a really, you know, that was the, kind of my first exposure to being in front of an audience. The first time I ever received applause, it was the first time I ever received really good laughter for something that I'd done. It was the first time I ever got a standing ovation. Um, and I was hooked at that point. And Mrs. Nielsen also put me, she, they did a, um, an Easter production as well of Peter Rabbit. And I got to play Peter and Peter Rabbit. And that, that kind of became uh, an outlet for me. But what, what ended up happening was my uncle worked for the city of Calgary and he's a perennial bachelor. So he, he hasn't cooked, um, in his life, he, you know, his idea of cooking is going to the restaurant or order window and, and asking for what he wants. And, and then the food arrives and that that's cooked. So he was out at a restaurant uh, right across from city hall. And it was um, in our main fine arts complex. And he'd overheard a casting director complaining about how hard it was to find a, a little boy to play tiny Tim. And my uncle asked, well, how little, is little and how young is young. And, you know, she was like, well, we're, we're hoping to find somebody between six and eight to play, you know, five, six years old, but they need to be really tiny. He's like, well, my nephew is really, really tiny. And, uh, so th- he ended up getting her number and, um, and phoning my mom and saying, you know, this might be something that Tyler would like to do. And, uh, Mrs. Nielsen was really, uh, supportive in it because, uh, if I were to audition for that, it would have meant, you know, missing school um, for a, a portion of time. And, uh, you know, and then when it got into grade two, Mrs. McGuigan was really good with it, too. So I I would miss, you know, about a month worth of school uh, in December each year and, and a little bit in November with uh, with rehearsals. And we did that for a couple of years. And it was just, it was a really, really great experience for me, especially after my father's passing, because it gave me an opportunity to really explore um, myself and emotions in a very safe space, because I didn't really openly grieve my father's passing for about six years. So it was a really good way for me to uh, process and come into my own and discover who I was and, and create an identity around myself at a very young age. So um, I am I am forever grateful for that opportunity. That's interesting. So so you actually got the part of Tiny Tim. Uh, in, was, it a, was it a play or was it a film? No, no, as a play. It's it staged. Uh, it, in fact, it's a, an annual tradition at Theatre Calgary. I was part of one of the, the original casts of it. Um, and it has been going now for almost 40 years uh even through wow. covid they they put on the production the first year they did it virtually and the second year they did it uh, in a hybrid and uh the and both of those covid years they they did the entire dickens production all of the characters were played by just three performers and then they had two versions of the cast they had cast a and cast b and both of them stayed isolated so that either one could go on at any time. And then they all stayed socially. It was a really, really phenomenal telling of the play to see these performers take on 
both the physical manifestation mm. of these various characters as well as the you know the change of the voice and the and the movement it was just a really really cool production uh, mm. but yeah it was a theatrical production yeah so from your perspective missing missing a, a week or so in november and and december there's not an awful lot goes on in those months anyway you've only got a couple of weeks in december before you break up for the christmas anyhow um, so yeah, guess, and we do the you didn't production miss too much. No, I, I mean it was also elementary school. You don't miss <laughs> too much. I remember thinking it was this big thing at the time, but now that my daughter is in school and she's in the second grade now, and she missed basically the first week of school filming a, a TV commercial, um, <laughs> I don't, I don't feel bad. I don't, I don't think you know school is important. Uh, attendance is important. But uh, at that age, it's pretty easy to catch up. Yeah. Let's, let's not go into my schooling, <laughs> particularly the secondary school. Yeah. So let's, let's move on a little bit. Should we, should we have a look at your... Um, so you went through your elementary and then you went to middle school? Yeah. Or, or did, you, did you junior high? No. Uh, yeah. So uh, junior high where we are, um, it's, it's split. So I went to a junior high school. Um, and then, uh, a high school, my high school was actually a fine arts high school, um, specialized in musical theater. And then I minored in television arts. And then my junior high, as I mentioned, was in this very, very, very tiny hamlet, um, out just South of the town that I grew up in a very, very rural, uh, agricultural based school. I, I actually had a course called agriculture where we would like learn about yeah. farming and sustainability <laughs> and branching and we, livestock. We, we called it rural studies. Um, yeah. In my day, it was sort of animal husbandry. It was a bit of gardening. Mm -hmm. It was a bit of agriculture, that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> that's when I actually went. <laughs> so, so that was, that was, uh, I, I guess with the smaller classes like that, the teacher teachers can concentrate more on your education and you get yeah. that a, a better rounded education where you go into a big school with, with lots of kids in the class uh, and a mix of abilities. You're going to, you, you're going to suffer at some stage because the teachers either trying to discipline the, the hooligans or, yeah. uh, and the, the people that want to try and get on and getting picked on. It's not a nice no, yeah, no, and I, I was really, really lucky too with that school because it was small. Everybody knew everybody and everybody knew everybody through the grades too. So there was no like grade mm -hmm. separation. You know, we, I knew everybody from, you know, the, and, cause it was a, a middle school and an elementary. So I knew kids that, you know, from grade one all the way up to the ninth grade. And uh, we all kind of looked out for each other. And, you know, I'm still, I still, am in contact with a couple of the people that I went to school with that were in various grades, like, you know, in different uh, ages. Uh, because the nice thing is, right, once you get once you get out of high school, uh, the grade level is is irrelevant. And mm. uh, a lot of us were close anyways, just because of the way that that school was designed and how it all blended. And, you know, uh, it was a, a very athletic point in my uh, upbringing. I played uh, volleyball, basketball, badminton, a lot of team sports. We competed a lot. Uh, I ran competitively. Um, and so it was, it was just, you know, when you're in that kind of an environment, you're playing with people who are of different ages, age groups of you, and you're practicing together and riding the bus home together. And it was just mm. a really, really, um, I, I, I think back on those days very very fondly i really enjoyed my time in uh in junior high and, and great teachers again too from rick mm -hmm. dawson on up i had um just some of the the most dedicated educators um in fact uh, I, when i was in the seventh grade um mr dawson who was my math teacher he was math and science and agriculture um he uh there was a, a, a core group of about four of us, uh, Liam Stone, um, Dave, uh, what was David's, not David Gardner, but uh, David and a, a few others, Travis. And we all 
um, we're very scholastic in our endeavors. We're also very athletic. And uh, Rick actually ended up, Rick Dawson gave us uh, a grade nine math text to start studying algebra. And uh, we took to it really quickly. And he would, you know, over lunch and in recesses and stuff like that, he would show us how to, how to break down equations and, and um, do some fairly complex math. And then when we, by the time I was in ninth grade, because we'd been learning ninth grade math in the seventh grade, by the time I was in ninth grade, I was actually studying 12th grade math. So when I went into high school, my high school being a fine arts high school was not as dedicated to the scholastic side of it. And I was able to basically skirt through uh, mathematics and my school was on the Copernicus system. So in high school, so instead of being semestered where you have four or five classes for the first half of the year and then four or five classes for the second half of the year, we would have two classes for 10 weeks, one in the morning, one in the afternoon. And I actually did um, my 10th grade, 11th grade, 12th grade, and then AP advanced placement mathematics in the first five uh, quarters. So by the time I was in my first quarter of my 11th grade, I had completed mathematics, including my first university placement math, which was a blessing and a curse because then when I did go back to, to school uh, <laughs> post-secondary, um, many, many years later, because I didn't start my post-secondary until I was uh, 28, <laughs> I had well forgotten all that math that I'd done 11 <laughs> years ago <laughs> and 12 years and it was just, it was, um, yeah, it was a bit of a culture shock to have to relearn mathematics. Mm. So let's move us on a little bit then. So you had a pretty good uh, time in, in high school. Yeah. And um, moving on to, what, what, what was your, um, did you go on to college from high school? I, 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 I did, but not for almost a decade. So I oh, would have uh, graduated at 17. And I actually, um, I had a uh, medical incident um, my senior year of high school that paralyzed the left side of my body uh, for almost a year. And so I actually took my last half of my senior year through correspondence. So I actually finished up school early and moved out to Vancouver um, on the West coast of Canada, which is um, a film Mecca. It's, it's, you know, it's referred to as Hollywood North here. A lot of mm -hmm. film production is filmed out of Vancouver. A lot of shows that people would recognize um, are, 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 you know, stand in for various other places uh, are, are filmed in Vancouver. And uh, so I'd actually gone out uh, there before I even graduated high school, I was out performing and I acted professionally from basically my late teens from 17 on into my mid twenties, about 25. And so I didn't actually go back to university until uh, I was 28. I made the decision when I was 27, turned 28 and then um, started my post-secondary and went back and got a geomatics engineering um, diploma. Mm. So let's have a look at um, moving to Vancouver then. What was mm -hmm. uh, the catalyst to, to drag you to, uh, across the country to Vancouver in the first place? And Well, luckily for me, it was just across the Rocky Mountains. So it wasn't across <laughs> the country. It was only a 12-hour drive to the coast, and I did it many, many times. Um, but the catalyst for it was, uh, being told, uh, first of all, uh, losing, um, m use of my face and body, uh, put a real hamper on me graduating from the Alberta high school of fine arts, because I had to withdraw from, uh, performance art 35, which was the, basically the, the, uh, main stage production, the, the big musical that we put on each year. And, uh, I was perfectly healthy. New Year's Eve, 1996, woke up New Year's Day, 1997, and my body didn't work. And so I had to, to withdraw from the play because the show that we were doing that year was very uh, dance intensive and specifically tap dance intensive, so, and my left leg didn't work. So how much had you had to drink then? 
I, I was dead sober. That's the, that's the fun thing. I was actually the designated driver that night. Uh, what ended up happening was uh, I, I slept weird because it was like, you know, early in the morning by the time I got home. It was probably 4.35 o'clock in the morning. And I'd fallen asleep and just passed out because I was tired. I was exhausted from driving everybody around. It was a bad blizzard that year. So I was driving in really bad weather, trying to get all of my friends who were very drunk and obnoxious uh, back to their various residences. And um, um, I actually lived uh, a town south of where I went to school and it was about 20, 25 minute drive on good weather. And it was probably a 50 to 65 minute drive that night. So I was exhausted and tired and I fell asleep and just literally passed out. And uh, this, the th running theory, because we can't prove it, and you know, I'm a bit of a medical anomaly with this one, but the running theory is that I pinched off a nerve in my neck as well as the vein and it built up pressure in my head, but um, I didn't have the response to move. And so I had uh basically a mini stroke, like stroke, like symptoms, mm. uh, where I, I put pressure in my brain. And then when I woke up, uh, the whole left side of my body just wasn't functioning. Um, and so I took a long while, a lot of physical therapy, a lot of rehab, a lot of acupuncture, laser acupuncture, chiropractic, various concoctions and cocktails and pills <laughs> before I could get my, uh, face and legs working again and they clearly did so mm -hmm. when was so you moved to vancouver mm -hmm. and and when did you actually be able to when did you actually start your acting career there and what was the first thing you did what was the first production or or, or the what was, the, was it a film was it a, a, a short was it tv a, series a, yeah, TV series. I had a, a small little what would be referred to as a day player role on uh, the TV series version of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Uh, very short run with that. I think they only did one season. They might have done two. Um, and I played a, a skateboarding kid. Um, and I don't even think, uh, I made the final episode. Like it's one of those things where I, I, I don't think I ever, I got paid for it, but I don't think I made the final cut. And, uh, yeah, and that on, was kind on of the cutting room floor. Did you? Yeah. But that was kind of my first taste of, um, being able to, to be a, a working and professional actor outside of home because it was one thing when i was growing up right i'd been acting since i was six and so from six to 17 that was 11 years and i had a fairly uh established resume and reputation in calgary as a performer but there's not a lot of certainly not a lot of film or tv that came through calgary and there was only so much theater production that required somebody under 18 to mm -hmm. be in um, and so the, the roles were few and far between when they did come. And uh, there was a, a core group of probably about eight or nine of us guys who were constantly competing for these same roles. And uh, I remember the director of my uh, performing arts school uh, telling me that I would never be able to make it as a professional actor because I hadn't completed my, my training at the school and between that and the just about losing it all to the medical incident, um, I had a fire under my ass that would not leave. And so I just, I, I put my all into it. And it was basically one of those things where I moved out to the coast. I was out there before I actually ever even had my graduation ceremony. I think my graduation ceremony was the 20 something of June. And I had gone out to Vancouver um, with my uncle, actually, my, my aunt and uncle had moved out there and at the end of May and I had gone out, I think the first of June and, uh, did this audition, got the role, uh, filmed the role, came back for my graduation ceremony, and then, um, packed up everything that I could fit into my 1982 Honda cord and drove across the mountains back to the coast and never left. I was I was in Vancouver until 2004, I think. So 97 to 2004. 
and made and acted the whole time. I, I was very privileged to be able to be a working actor where performance was my sole source of income. Wow. Right. What was your most memorable performance? What one did you uh, most enjoy doing? The, uh, a wonderful production called Door to Door. It was a made-for-TV movie that starred uh, Dame Helen Murren. What a treasure that she is. And uh, uh, William H. Macy. And Bill played a character, real-life character, actually, named Bill Porter. It was based on the real-life story of Bill Porter, who was a door-to-door salesman with cerebral palsy and one of the top salesmen for the Watkins company and one of the first people to actually experiment with um, online e-commerce. And uh, it it was just uh, an absolute gift to get to work with performers of that caliber, particularly Dame Helen Mirren. And it was the first time where I really felt like a movie star because normally when you're a date player, which is typically what I am, like I don't, I'm, I'm not usually a, a guest star or a star of a thing. I come in and I'm an actor or a principal role where I have like a couple of lines, maybe one or two scenes at best. I come in and you'd never remember that I was in the show. Like I come <laughs> high, you know, I, I'm lucky if my character even helps advance the plot along, you know, and, but with this particular one, Um, and so when you're, when you're a day player, you get these really tiny, small trailers. They're like, uh, six by eight foot little kind of thing with a little bit of a cot and maybe a small little dressing area and a bathroom. When I was on door to door, I had this massive double wide (laughs) star trailer. And like, it was the first time I had that. And I, and I had, uh, you know, the puffy jacket wardrobe would come and, you know, give me the big (laughs) puffy jacket to keep me warm, big Canadian down jacket, and I had my name on the back of my chair, my set chair had, and I got to keep my, my back. And, uh, Bill came in, he was just so gracious and, you know, chatted with me for a little bit and, and Helen and I, and Bill had a scene together in this diner where I was not, I did not play a very nice character. My character was, um, really, really mean to, to, uh, Mr. Porter and uh and helen played uh, bill's mom and in the in the scene we have this interplay where i'm making fun of her son and she comes to his defense in a very very clever very witty way and she turns around and asks if she can borrow uh some ketchup and then she accidentally on purpose uh spills a glass of water into my lap and kind of you know gives me a, I know what you're saying about my son and you can stop it now kind of thing. And, uh, Helen Mirren ended up actually getting nominated for a golden globe that year for her performance in door to door. And when they play, you know, when they, they're like, and nominated for best supporting actress in door to door, Dame Helen Mirren. And then they play a scene, uh, from the show that they're nominated in the scene that they played was that diner scene between her, me and bill. And, uh, and so I like my, I got to be featured on the Golden Globes with Dame Helen Murin. I got to have a star trailer. I got to make a pretty good paycheck. Um, meet William H. Macy. I got to jam in my trailer with William H. Macy because he was learning how to play guitar. So like for a thousand reasons, um, I, that is, that is kind of like that one highlight of my career where I look back on that and go, yeah, that was that time that I did that really cool thing. <laughs> so, so that's your best. What's your worst? What was the one that you just don't want to remember? What one have you oh. put way at the back that, that you just wouldn't want anybody to know about until today? You know, I don't think I have any that I I wouldn't want people to see um, because they all have their unique charm. I mean, I've done some really bad performances. (laughs) I remember doing a couple of student films um, where, you know, it it was just kind of like you shook your head and went, oh, yeah, that was 
That was not my best work. Um, but it, but even they had their their charm and I got to do some fun stuff. Uh, yeah, if I had to think on it, I really, I, I would love to tell you, Tim, this is that one thing that I really wish nobody would find out about. But I I don't think I have one. I, I love them all. I really do. I have, you know, I put a lot into, into the performances. Mm. So I don't think there's a single thing that I've done that I'm not proud of. There's some that I wish I could have done better, but I'm pretty proud of mm. everything that I've done. So talking about stuff you've done, is it just film that you've done or have you done theatre? And if Oh, yeah, no, theater, a ton of theatre. Yeah. And, and, and have you and, been on long runs or has it just been short short runs? Or? No, no, I did um, a house production of um, Ragtime with uh, Live Ent. Um, at the Ford Theater in Vancouver, and that run was, I, th- I think, four, 14 or 16 months that we were in residence there, um, and that was that was phenomenal. Um, and then you know, recurring with uh, a Christmas Carol, although it was a- an annual performance, that would still you know you, we did four weeks um Mm. every year and i i was involved with that for i think three years and then a break and then two years so what other characters did you play other than tiny tim because i guess you wouldn't have played tiny tim once you sort of grown up a bit yeah no i played uh tiny tim and then when i stopped playing tiny tim i played young ebenezer and then in both of those roles when you're not playing those your your various village people and stuff but um in the in the bill i was i was listed as uh young ebenezer when i came back the second time Hmm. so yeah but you play you you particularly with the kid roles you're kind of you're not a swing per se but you definitely take on multiple roles within uh, within the production so your your town's person and then you're part of the Cratchit family and then so on and so forth mm. but um yeah it was it was tiny tim and, and young ebenezer were the the two i i guess credited roles so out of all the stuff you've done out of all the theater that you've done mm-hmm. what was your favorite play um up until 2020 my favorite production that i had ever been involved in was ragtime because that was such a pivotal part of my career and development and to have you know a a standing engagement that lasted over a year particularly as a performer um, and a unionized gig as well so i was it was a good paying uh show that was that was just a gift and i love that musical the music of it is just is great i I, to this day think that we still should have won the tony um we lost to um lion king and i think lion king won because of a more because of the spectacle and the money behind disney (laughs) that could that could sway the votes um that has a bit to do with it i guess yeah uh, yeah and you know, as uh, try as as Garth Dravinsky did, uh, Livent just didn't didn't have the backing to get the votes, which was unfortunate because that play was um, and that musical is just, I mean, it's it's heartbreaking and and I just I I love every mm-hmm. bit of it. But recently, um, in in late 2019, I got cast in a show called Featherpen Fairy Tales by a, a local playwright here. And uh, her name's Marin Ord. Um, Marin Burnham is is her legal name, but Marin Ord is what she goes by professionally. And um, it was it was a fun little whimsical musical. And while we were performing that musical, and it's just a you know it was light fair, really great music though, but light fair. She was actually writing her next production called The Gardener, and so then I got to workshop The Gardener. And I've now been involved with that production since April of 2020, virtually. 
And now I'm actually an executive producer for it. Um, we'll be staging it uh, in April next year. I won't actually be performing in it, but it is now my favorite production that I've ever been in, involved in because the music in that is haunting. The story behind it is just uplifting in its messaging. It just makes you feel good to be a human. And mm. I, I, I don't do it justice, but I think the world needs to see this play. Uh, the, the musical, uh, they need to hear the music. It is my, I have made it my mission to make sure I won't be the one to stage it on Broadway because I don't know the people and I don't have the connections, but I'm going to find the people who know the people so that eventually Marin can get this, this on Broadway because it deserves a much broader audience. If I can't get it to New York, I'm definitely bringing it to London. I'm going to get it up in the West end because it has to, has to, has to be seen by the world. This is a, this is uh, better than Hamilton in my opinion. Mm. Well, if you get it to London, let us know. I'll be up there to watch it. Uh, you'll be the first call, Tim. I will let you know. I love live theater. Yeah. Um, yeah there's nothing I'll... like it. When I was stationed in London, we we were going probably once a month um, to to a live show, and I just yeah don't get quite so many chances nowadays. But um, yeah, we do a bit of provincial theatre, darling. <laughs> Go and watch some yeah. of that. So yeah, um, but yeah, we just love live live shows. So bring us up to date. Let's have a look what we're doing nowadays. Uh, so you, nowadays, you're working on that. Is that all you're doing, or? Uh, no, no. That is a that is one of those things that is a, a passion and and just slightly above a hobby. Um, I definitely have a lot of time and a little bit of money invested into its uh, into its well being. So I I do want to see it go forward. Um, but no, that is that's something I'm doing just because I believe in Marin and what she's done. She is just an incredible talent and, and more people need to know her name um, mm. and her work. If they don't know her name, they at least need to know her work and her music and what she's done. And like I said, I I've made that a bit of a mission when I am not, you know, pretending to be an executive producer of musical theater. <laughs> I <laughs> am a uh, number one best-selling author of my own book, um, uh, the power to speak naked. And I, uh, am training people on how to public speak. I do a lot of uh, talks myself as a keynote presenter. And when I'm not doing all that, I run a couple of businesses, including a uh, safety consulting. So uh, I, I have a lot of fingers in many, many pies and I'm not sure how I juggle it all. <laughs> and you get time to come on podcasts. And I get time to come on podcasts being the number one ranked podcast guest on Podmatch for the mm. last 18 months so let's just let's just have a quick look at your book um what's it called again how to speak naked the power to speak naked the yes. power to speak naked now lots of people say when when you stand up in front of an audience and and the, the best way to calm your nerve is to think of everybody naked in the audience yes so so you kind of flip that on your head a bit now you're, you're standing up in front of an audience, stalkers. <laughs> I, I now and, and to be fair, I actually have done that once for charity um, because I was being heckled uh, at a at a talk at a presentation, and it was called "The Power to Speak Naked." It was a little forty five minute uh, presentation that I do to kind of upsell my uh, two and a half day uh, training seminar. And there's this guy, he kept heckling me. He's like, take off your clothes, naked boy. And I was like, no, sir, I will not be doing that. You have not paid enough for your ticket to come and, and see that. Um, but he just, he wouldn't, he would not relent. And when I'm doing my own seminars like that, I typically book a venue twice uh, for insurance, just in case for whatever reason, something cancels or we have a weather delay or something like that then I don't have to scramble to try and find a new venue. I just have the venue. And uh, if I 
can't for whatever reason, I can always make use of the booking somehow. There's always something that I can do with it, whether I use it for my private coaching clients or I use it to record some of my own material or whatever, I can always make use of it. So I had this venue booked for the following week. And so I said to the guy, look, if you're willing to pay an exuberant amount of money and we all agree to donate the proceeds to my favorite charity, then I will come back on. I will present naked. I have no shame. Like I, <laughs> I will walk around had gladly and happily. The only reason I have clothing on is because there are laws that request that I do that. Otherwise I would. Uh, so I, I did actually, um, I had to get a whole bunch of insurance. It was remarkably hard to put on a show without clothes. I had to get extra insurance. I had to get clearance from the venue. We had to get bouncers to ID. Like there was like this whole, whole thing that I didn't think about when I was running my mouth the week previous. Uh, but we did do it. We put it on. We made a great amount of money for charity. And uh, and I would do it again. If anybody wants, you know, to, to raise money for their charity and they, for whatever reason, uh, feel that uh, a naked me will help them do that. I am, I am always on board as long as it's going to a good cause. Fantastic. So tell us about our, our latest book. Sorry, what's that? Our latest book. Let's, um, let's, let's give ourselves a bit of a plug. <laughs> yes. Yes. Our latest book. That is correct. And we are uh, published in in our most newest number one best-selling book on Amazon podcast yep. mastery, both host and guest mastery with the wonderful Alex Sanfilippo of Podmatch, And yeah, I'm quite proud of that as you should be, sir, as you should be. I am. That's, that's my first real adventure into being a published author. <laughs> and now best-selling published author it's best so much fun to, so much more fun when you can say it that way it's what best-selling published author i'm a best-selling published author i'm looking forward to to meeting alex next year uh, hopefully they're coming to to london to the podcast show and um, yeah. i'm gonna hopefully help them out well and i i am have it circled on my calendar as well it's a thing that i'm i'm i've reached out to the organizers to see if i can uh, be involved in some way because i this is probably my favorite um time of my day when i get to meet wicked hosts like yourself and just have these wonderful conversations and, and explorations and uh i want to give back to the community that uh, that has given so much to me including uh, writing that book was was my way of, of giving back the best that I could. I was I was as soon as Alex and Mike approached me about it, um, I was I was on board. They didn't have to ask twice. Mm. Oh, I was the same. Um, I thought I'd, yeah. it's an opportunity I didn't want to yeah, sort of pass up. Having been a, I was well, only for four months. Oh, yeah, it's only you and I both know how work. incredibly yeah it is so hard to sustain that. Like yeah. the, the, I have actually started teaching a course to show people how to break into that, uh, number or then to the top 10 and how to hopefully achieve the number one ranking. Um, and it, to a man, every person I have taught how to do that at the end of our, usually two to three months of working together, they go, I don't know how you did it. I don't know how you did it. I could barely keep this up for a month. How have you done it for 18? So for, and, and being on the guest side is so much easier than on the host side. Like you were able to sustain yeah. four months as a host, Tim, that yeah. I don't think people understand just how that's like, um, 28 months in dog years, right? Like Absolutely. it is so, so hard to do. And um, I mean, if I had a hat, I would tip it to you, sir. So the, the slight downside is that I, I, I've now got two podcasts a week uh, until the end of December. <laughs> so that's why I dropped down the rankings because I, I just literally had to take a take my foot off the gas just to give a, a bit of breathing space to, to, to let myself catch up 
Yeah, um, and I to... I commend you for for making that choice to do. Um, I promised myself that I would sustain my ranking until the book came out. And so now that we're into November, I will I will do it to support the launch. And then I am I am stepping away. 2023 can be the year of someone else. Because <laughs> <laughs> I I had my 2022. I never dropped off of the the number the top ten. I've been number one six times. So I will uh, graciously hand over the, well, the keys. I, to I, the I, I've got a mission for 23. I want to be. In 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 the in the same month, the number one guest and the number one host. Oh, oh! I am oh. going to be watching, and I will be celebrating I, Tim I, when you hit that. I, I am going to be pushing hard come the new year. <laughs> I'm going to yeah. give myself a little bit of breathing space until the new if, year, and then I'm going to go if, for it. If only there were a book that had tips and tricks from 16 of the top ranked guests that could help you with that mission because you've already got the host thing locked down you know how to do that oh, yeah. but if only if only there were some kind of book that could be purchased on amazon where you mean you this book really... <laughs> that that looks like it would help that could be really helpful for you have a read of that see how it goes absolutely i'm working my way through it yes so tyler it's been an absolute delight. Absolute delight, Jan, with you. I've loved every minute of it. It's been my joy and my pleasure, Tim. Thank you so much for having me on. And, and uh, here's to conquering 2023 and being on top. Absolutely. Hopefully I'll do it just before the podcast show. Yes. In London. Yes. Wouldn't that which, be a fun which, thing to brag about? Which would be a fun thing to bring. Yeah. So, thanks again. The Tim Hill Podcasts. Ordinary people's extraordinary stories. Welcome to the Tim Hill Podcast. If you have the time, you can not only listen to the episodes, but you can also watch all the shows and you'll find the links in the description below. Thank you.